Let's um, look, if you would, in your own scriptures to Revelation chapter 20. We're considering verses 4 through 6. And so this evening I'd like to just go ahead and read verses 1 through 6. I always like to get a little context. Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 through 6. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil, and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more until the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God who had not worshipped the beast or his image and not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. So we, we, we spoke last time about the, uh, the binding of Satan, the imprisonment of Satan. So that, that there in chains and in the pit, he was not going to be able to continue his deceiving work uh, through the kingdom. But now we come to the other side of the coin. Those who are not bound but freed from his influence and those who are freed to reign with Christ. So in verse 20, chapter 20, verse 4, we read, I saw thrones and they sat on them and judgment was committed to them. So we see there are some who are seated on thrones. We're not told how many. We're not told how many thrones. We're not told how many are sitting on them. But, it, but I gather from this that it's, just this, it's an immense scene of thrones and again he doesn't explain or even describe who's sitting on the thrones but uh, we we i gather it's not the tribulation martyrs because he'll mention them next it would be natural for these to be uh the church age uh people we talk, could talk about the uh, 24 elders uh, the apostles would be a natural we know that they're going to reign with Christ in the kingdom. We see that in uh, Luke chapter 22, verses 28 to 30. Luke chapter 22, verses 28 to 30. We read, but to his apostles, Jesus said this, You are those who have continued with me in my trials. I bestow upon you a kingdom, just as my Father dispo dispo bestowed one upon me, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And then verse 19, 28 of uh, chapter 19, 28 of Matthew, Matthew 19, 28, Jesus says, Assuredly, I say to you that in the regeneration, that's his way of describing the kingdom, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, you who followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So he specifically promised to his apostles that when he came to his kingdom, they too would sit with him and reign. And specifically, the apostles will have the responsibility of, of rulership uh, over the 12 tribes of Israel. 
So that tells us some of the ones who are already on these thrones are the apostles. But also, we might gather, we can see that the, the, um, the, the church saints are there as well. You know, they were raptured, resurrected, raptured, taken up into glory. Luke 19, verses 12 to 19, is the parable of the minas. Therefore, Jesus said to them, a certain nobleman went into the far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. And and again, that's such a perfect picture. Christ goes away, receives a kingdom, returns. So he called ten of his servants and delivered to them ten minas and said to them, do business until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we will not have this man to reign over us. And so it was that when he returned, having received the kingdom, he then commanded these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. Then came the first, saying, Master, your mine has earned ten minas. And he said to him, Well done, good servant, because you were faithful in a very little, have authority over ten cities. The second came and said, Master, your mine has earned five minas. Likewise, he said to him, You also will be over five cities. And so we see a concept that in the kingdom, they will reign with the king and their authority, their responsibility in the kingdom will be directly related to their stewardship and service now. So faithful in a little, faithful in much. And again, it seems so appropriate that the reward for service is greater service. So what he was teaching his, his disciples is um, that, that well, there would be rewards, differences of rewards in the kingdom, and it'll be based on our service. So we see the tribulation saint, I mean the uh, rap, church saints, they, would be, they were raptured, and now they will sit on thrones in the kingdom. That includes the apostles. Now the Old Testament saints are likely also Uh, resurrected now as the kingdom is beginning. Daniel 7.18 says, But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. So God had promised the kingdom to Abraham, and especially to David as king. To Abraham he promised descendants and a nation. And to David he said his family would be the kings of this nation. But the kingdom was a, a central Old Testament theme. And we're told here that the saints of the Most High, again, the believers in the Old Testament, would receive the kingdom. We might ask the question, well, with all these uh, people make, uh, ruling, who's going to be ruled? Isn't that a natural question? You, know, you, know, too many, uh, you can only have so many commanders, and at some point you have to have someone to take orders. Um, some things we can notice right away. It won't be angels that are uh, sitting on the throne. Uh, Hebrews 2.5 says, we have, He has not put the world to come of which we speak in subjection to angels. But instead, saints are going to rule over the angels. We see it in 1 Corinthians 6, 2-3. Do you not know that saints will judge the world, and if the world will be judged by you, 
You're unworthy to judge the small, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Do you not know that we shall judge angels? So we see here, angels won't be judging. Angels will be judged. Angels will be under the authority of the resurrected saints sitting on the thrones. But also who will be in the kingdom, um, that would include those who survived the tribulation. The believers who survived the tribulation are the inhabitants of the kingdom. And so there'll be this wonderful situation if you think about it. The, un, the unbelievers, the ungodly, and the wicked perish before the kingdom. Only the believers who come through a terrible time. And so you can imagine what a heart they have for the Lord and, and for one another as they enter into the kingdom. And so, yes, they'll be ruled by Christ, but they'll love their king. And they'll be ruled by Christ's uh, uh, apostles and saints. And they'll delight uh, to have them ruling over them. And not in an oppressive way, but in a way that means there's a righteous government. You know, one of our problems today is we have um, imperfect people ruling in every capacity. How's that for a gentle way of uh, describing our leaders? But it's true. I don't care who you elect. I don't care who reigns. They're imperfect. They're sinners. So wouldn't it be wonderful in the kingdom to have those who are ruling over us to be resurrected? In other words, they no longer are sinners. And, and they, they are in their glorified body with all the capacities that come with that. They, have, they are finally freed from sin. And so when you come to someone like that to help you decide how to handle a situation, they are without sin and they are uh, strengthened in wisdom. It'll be a delight for the saints to be ruled in this way. But I'd say Old Testament saints, we said, are, are included. And so it's in the rulership and the church saints are on those thrones. But who else? In verse 4b, we're told that the tribulation martyrs will be there. And they are there because of their witness to Jesus and the word of God. And so they suffered. They paid the ultimate sacrifice for faithfulness to Christ. And so they will be honored on thrones as well. And so I think he gets a special point of, of, of signaling them out. Heroes of the faith. And so he says, I, I see these who suffered for Christ. Then the next phrase I've been wrestling with, I'm, is this a separate group or is this another way of describing the martyrs? He said, who had not worshipped the beast or his image, had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. It could be, the way that reads, this is describing the previous group, those who died for Christ. But here, you could also translate that and, and those who, as almost a separate group, those who had not worshipped the beast or his image, had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. So these would be, if that's the case, these would be uh, tribulation saints who were, were not martyred for their faith but did not survive the difficult seven-year tribulation. But they're marked by their faithfulness. They did not receive his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. They did not worship the beast they were faithful to Christ. Now, that's one of the things that is true of every believer 
in the, in the tribulation. Revelation 14, 9 to 11, we read, if anyone, or verses 9 and 10 is what I'll just read, if anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation, and he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone. So what that's saying is, those who do take the mark of the beast, those who do worship him, will have no place in glory. So when we says that these, these are the ones who did not worship the beast and didn't take his mark, these were the faithful ones. These were the believers. And so I, I'm gathering if they're on thrones, they're resurrected. So these would be the, the, those who were, were, were died for their faith as part of the persecution and those who just perhaps died in the tribulation without being martyred, but now they're all resurrected to reign with Christ. And by the way, that's part of God's promise in 2 Timothy 2, verses 10 to 13. Um, There's a good expression on this, but I'll just read verse 12. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. So perseverance is an evidence of salvation. And those who are saved will reign with Christ. So it seems, to those who are believers, they will reign with Christ. It seems we all will have a throne. So I can't figure out how that works, but I'm suspecting some of us will be on kind of small, uh, unupholstered chairs far at the back of the room. And others will be in in, in gloriously padded and and bejeweled thrones up toward the front. But every one of us will have the privilege of reigning with Christ. And every one of us will say, I'm here by God's grace. Who am I? Grace, grace. And so so the believers will be raised to glory and reign with Christ to serve him. And so what we're saying in verse 4 is simply this. What a contrast. In, in, in verse, verses 1 to 3, we saw the, the most wicked of opponents of the Lord. Imprisoned, bound, uh, dishonored, put in a pit and locked up. And then we come to the humble servants of Christ. Who were uh, often hated, persecuted, harassed. Some paid with their life, and here they sit on thrones with Christ to rule and reign. Now that would be a scary thing if they were not saved. Someone who has been terribly uh, treated unjustly sometimes wants revenge, and they respond to their injustice with their own injustice. But these will be saints who will delight to honor and serve the Lord. Now, verse 5 goes on. But the, the rest of the dead did not live again until the, resurrect, until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. So it begins with sort of a parenthetical remark. So here we've described the various ones who are resurrected. The church saints, the Old Testament saints, the tribulation saints. 
risen and serving and reigning with Christ. But not everybody has been resurrected. The rest of the dead, these are those who have not been resurrected. These are the unbelievers. These are the lost. They, will, they did not live again until the thousand years were finished. By the way, so here you notice um, an interesting point that points again to the reality and the, and the literalness of the thousand-year reign of Christ. Dr. Walvard notes this, the most important truth introduced in verse 4 is the evident fact that a thousand years separate the resurrection of the martyred dead from the resurrection of the wicked dead. And so you see, see there's, this, there's this time frame. We get through the tribulation. It, before the tribulation is the rapture, the church saints, those who are in Christ, resurrected, and, or, and the living snatched up, waiting for the, to join Christ in his return to earth. After the tribulation, the Old Testament saints rise after the tribulation, the, those who died in the tribulation, the saints, rise and all join in reigning with Christ. And we're told um, that the, the rest of the dead are not, do not live until the thousand years are finished. This is the first resurrection. Verse 26, 20, chapter 20, verse 6 says... Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. And so having laid this out, here's those who are resurrected to reign and those who are left for judgment. He said, blessed are those who are part of the first resurrection. And he says of them, the second death has no power over them. Uh, now, on Wednesday evening, we spent some time and had some charts describing this idea of the first resurrection. And uh, we uh, put out some cards there. If you hopefully, hopefully you got one we came in. There was some on the back table there and on either side here. This is the official Approved by the Apostle John explanation of the first resurrection. So um, what he is saying is this first resurrection is really a multi-phase resurrection. You could almost call it the first kind of resurrection. And, and it can be well compared um, to the agricultural world. So, for example, uh, the first phase of this is the resurrection of Christ. And remember, we're told that his resurrection is the first fruits. 1 Corinthians 15, 20. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who've fallen asleep. The first fruits were a, uh, a part of the, the, the worship and harvest uh, agricultural time in Israel. When the crop had been planted and, it was, and was starting to mature and be ready to harvest, that first fruits of it would be harvested, but not for consumption. It would be offered to the Lord. And in so doing, it was an acknowledgement, Lord, you are the one who gives the harvest, and we're trusting you for the rest of the harvest. And some, in some ways, that would be living out what Proverbs 3, 9, and 10 says. 
Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. So the first fruits was an expression of faith. Lord, you've given this and we're giving you this first fruits to show you we believe you, we trust you, and, and, we're, and, and you are the one who gives the harvest. Well, Christ was the first fruits. He was the first part of the first resurrection. But the very first fruits were something of a guarantee. There's more and bigger to come. We see that in 1 Corinthians 15, 23. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, afterward those who are Christ's at his coming. That's the speaking of the rapture of the church. And so in your chart, that's that second one. You notice Christ's resurrection, we're calling the first fruits. Then comes the harvest when Christ comes and, and, and resurrects and, and raises in translation the church. That's a much larger number than the first fruits. Then following the seven years of tribulation, the Old Testament saints and the tribulation saints are raised. We can see that the Old Testament saints are to be raised at that time in Daniel chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Daniel was told at that time, at the end of the tribulation, Michael shall stand, the great prince, who stands watch over the sons of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble. There's that tribulation. Such as never was, was since there was a nation. Even to that time and at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone who's found written in the book, many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. Some to everlasting life. That's the resurrection of the Old Testament saints. Later, some to shame and everlasting contempt. That would be, if you will, the, the second resurrection, the resurrection to judgment. Isaiah chapter 26, verses 19 and 20 also tell us, Your dead shall live together with my dead body. They shall arise, awake and sing, you who dwell in the dust. For your dew is like the dew of the herbs, and the earth shall cast out the dead. That's a great picture of resurrection. The earth shall cast out the dead. Come, my people, enter your chambers, shut your doors behind you, hide yourself, as it were, for a little moment until the indignation is past. So here's the promise, the resurrection of the Old Testament. And we would gather to the, the tribulation saints. So that's, in this chart, we're going to call that the gleaning. First fruits, then the harvest of the rapture resurrection. Seven years later, if you will, the remnant of the Old Testament saints and the, and the uh, tribulation saints. And then the, there's another chart uh, one there at the end, a second gleaning, if you will, the millennial living and dead. And what do I mean by that? Well, if you think about it, so in the millennium, remember we've been saying all along that who enters the millennium? Mortals. Uh, believers who survive the tribulation. And they have children who will have children who will ch- have children. The world will be greatly repopulated over that thousand years. It'll be a time of great blessing and righteous reign and all of those kinds of things. At the end, Satan will be released. He will be allowed to deceive the unbelievers who have been born and not converted during that time. They will join in rebellion and they'll be destroyed. But what we're saying is when it comes to the end of the millennium, 
the believers will be alive, the mortal believers. But a mortal body cannot go to heaven. 1 Corinthians 15, 50. Now this I say, Paul says, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must not put on, must put on immortality. And so for us to be fit for eternity, we need a resurrection body. So that would, that would say, I don't know that there's a direct passage I can point to beyond the concept, that the mortal believers surviving the kingdom will be translated like a, like a rapture, not a resurrection, because they're not brought up from the dead. Then in that chart, I have and dead in the question mark. On Wednesday, we talked about the fact I'm not, you know, there's not a clear statement that believers will die in the kingdom. We are told in Isaiah 65, 20, that sinners will die. And if you died 100, you'll be, you'll, you'll be considered to have died in your youth. So it's, I'm not sure if believers will actually live out the whole thousand years. And that's why I put in question mark. If there are any dead, they'll be resurrected. And that too is part of the, the gleaning. So this is all first resurrection. Because it's the first kind. The resurrection to life. The res- resurrection to glory. And then we're told over such the second death has no power. What's the second death? So, so James is, I mean James, John is throwing around these terms. First resurrection, second death. We might say, well, what would the, okay, we see with the first resurrection, that's the resurrection of Christ in, in its other phases. The resurrection to life and glory. Second resurrection will be the judgment. First death, what would that be? That's when this mortal body fails. So what's the second death? Revelation 20:14. Then death and this is speaking after the great white throne judgment. We'll get there. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And so there we see second death is eternal death, spiritual death. Uh, that doesn't mean they cease to exist, but they'll be separated from God and under his, his wrath for eternity. That's the second death. Those who are part of the first resurrection have no part in the second death. I think I shared with you the little proverb, born once, die twice. Born twice, die once. And that about covers it. So why John didn't just write that out and and say, there's chapter 20, let's move on. I don't know. But but that maybe helps us. But he closes this verse 6. They're not under the second death, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him for a thousand years. In other words, priests in the sense of uh, they will uh, you know, be mediators uh, of the people. They'll come to him, them for counsel. They'll come to them to resolve issues. They'll come to them for guidance. Uh, how do we obey Christ in this? And so, um, and as the world expands, those many saints will have more and more responsibility. But the thing is, they'll have the privilege of serving with Christ in his glory for, for that thousand-year reign. So, you know, one of the things is, well, how does that work out? Are we going to um, have co- contact, obviously, 
there, if there are leaders, there are the, if they're the rulers, not ours, we'll be among them. If, if they're ruling over the world, then there'll be interaction. Uh, remember, Jesus said, you know, they'll, they'll sit and eat with me in the kingdom. And so, you know, do we go out to fish and chips and cup of coffee with the, between the, the resurrected saints and the uh, believers of the kingdom? I'm not entirely clear how that all works out, but there will be interaction. And so for a thousand years, this, this, there'll be this communion. And yet in the midst of all of that, there'll be those who are born during that time. Of course, everyone would bo- is born an unbeliever. Everyone is born with a sinful nature. And, and there will be many who will not trust in Christ. Though they see him ruling over the world. Though they see the resurrected saints, they'll read their Bible and, 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 and read of, of, of Moses and, and Abraham. And then they'll see them and can even ask them. You can imagine some four-year-old, Mr. Moses, what color was your snake? What color was their snake? And you can just see him. Well, see, that was a long time ago. Aaron, what color was... But, but they'll be able to have that interaction. We can gripe about the failings of our human leaders. They won't have, they'll have a perfect government, a perfect environment. And yet, we'll continue in rebellion of unbelief. We'll come to that later. But those are those of the second death. On the other hand, God's people. And again, uh, our reward is not to sit in a rocking chair and just bask in the glory of, of, of Christ's reign. Our reward will be to sit and serve. And to have the joy of fellowshipping, serving, uh, honoring him for that time. And pointing people to Christ and his glory. So that's the coming kingdom. And this is the promise of the first resurrection. So those who know Christ will will be raised to share in his glory. We in this age, at any moment, when God sees fit, we'll meet Christ in the air. The dead in Christ will rise first. And then we'll wait for the tribulation to play out and will follow him and see him conquer his his enemies. And then as he establishes his kingdom, we will be given our places of rule and it will be our privilege to honor him and serve him for his glory. So many people wonder what comes after this. The Bible does tell us an amazing amount of what's before us. So he holds to us the joy of seeing God fulfill his promises. And that's really what it's, so much of this is about. These are things God promised to his people. God keeps his promises. How do I know that I'm going to live in eternity for he- in heaven? Because God keeps his promises. The, these r- Ruling with Christ isn't because I'm a better person. But God keeps his promises. And so we see in this, God will keep his promise.
and this wretched world will be set right. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the glorious hope of the resurrection in Christ. Lord, keep our eyes looking for him. Fill our hope in, to be in him. And Father, as this world disappoints us in so many ways, help us to see that this is not the end of the story, but to long for the reign of Christ on earth and your glory to be seen. And this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.